Section number nine of Police. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Police by Robert W. Chambers. The Ladies of the Lake, Part One. At the suggestion of several hundred thousand ladies desiring to revel and possibly riot in the Saturnalia of equal franchise, the unnamed lakes in that vast and little-known region in Alaska, bounded by the Alanki River and the Thunder Mountains, were now being inexorably named after women. It was a beautiful thought. Already several exquisite, lonely bits of water, gem-set among the eternal peaks, mirrors for cloud and soaring eagle, a glass for the moon as keystone to the towering arch of stars, had been irrevocably labelled. Already there was Lake Amelia Jones, Lake Sadie Dingleheimer, Lake Maggie McFadden, and Lake Mrs. Gladys Doolittle Bat. I long to see these lakes under the glamour of their newly added beauty. Imagine, therefore, my surprise and happiness when I received the following communication from my revered and beloved chief, Professor Farrago, dated from the Smithsonian Institute, Washington, whither he had been summoned in haste to examine and pronounce upon the identity of a very small bird supposed to be a specimen of that rare and almost extinct creature, the two-toed titmouse. Mustita duototus, to be scientifically exact, as I invariably strive to be. The important letter in question was as follows. To Percy Smith, B.S., D.F., etc., etc., Curator, Department of Anthropology, Administration Building, Bronx Park, N.Y. My dear Mr. Smith, Several very important and determined ladies, recently honored by the government and having a number of lakes in Alaska named after them, have decided to make a pilgrimage to that region, inspired by a characteristic desire to gaze upon the lakes named after them individually. They request the following points. First, are the waters of the lakes in that locality sufficiently clear for a lady to do her hair by? In that event, the expedition will not burden itself with looking-glasses. Second, are there any hotels? You need merely say no. I have tried to explain to them that it is, for the most part, an unexplored wilderness. But they insist upon further information from you. Third, if there are hotels, is there also running water to be had? You may tell them that there is plenty of running water. Fourth, what are the summer outdoor amusements? You may inform them that there is plenty of bathing, boating, fishing, and an abundance of shade trees. Also, excellent mountain climbing to be had in the vicinity. You need not mention the pastimes of hunt the flea or dodge the skeeter. I'm not by nature cruel, Mr. Smith, but when these ladies informed me that they had decided to penetrate that howling and unexplored wilderness without being burdened or interfered with by any member of my sex, for one horrid and criminal moment, I hoped they would. Because in that event... None of them would ever come back. However, in my heart, kinder and more humane sentiments prevailed. I pointed out to them the peril of their undertaking, the dangers of an unexplored region, the necessity of masculine guidance and support. 
My earnestness and solicitude were, I admit, prompted partly by a desire to utilize this expensively projected expedition as a vehicle for the accumulation of scientific data. As soon as I heard of it, I conceived the plan of attaching two members of our Bronx Park scientific staff to the expedition. You and Mr. Brown. But no sooner did these determined ladies hear of it than they repelled the suggestion with indignation. Now the matter stands as follows. These ladies don't want any men in the expedition. But they have at last realized that they've got to take a guide or two. And there are no feminine guides in Alaska. Therefore, considering the immense and vital importance of such an opportunity to explore and report upon this unknown region at somebody else's expense, I suggest that you and Brown meet these ladies at Lake Mrs. Susan W. Pillsbury, which lies at the edge of the region to be explored. That you, without actually perjuring yourselves too horribly, convey to them the misleading impression that you are the promised guides provided for them by a cowed and avuncular government and that you take these fearsome ladies about and let them gaze at their reflections in the various lakes named after them, and that while the expedition lasts, you secretly make such observations, notes, reports, and collections for the flora and fauna of the region as your opportunities may permit. No time is to be lost. If at Lake Susan W. Pillsbury you find regular guides awaiting these ladies, you will bribe these guides to go away, and you yourselves will impersonate the guides. I know of no other way for you to explore this region, as all our available resources at Bronx Park have already been spent in painting appropriate scenery to line the cages of the mammalia, and also in the present exceedingly expensive expedition in search of the polka-dotted boombok, which is supposed to inhabit the jungle beyond Lake Niggerplug. My most solemn and sincere wishes accompany you. Bless you. Farago. End of section 9. Recording by Ike Scher.